Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Hey friends, glad to have you join us on the No Water Methodist Podcast. This is Pastor Jeffrey, and once again we're presenting to you the proclamation of the word from this last Sunday. This last Sunday was Transfiguration Sunday. It's the last Sunday before Lent begins. I'm actually recording this on Ash Wednesday, which is the following Sunday when Lent officially has begun. And if you don't know about Lent, there are a lot of people who really don't, and um, I could try and summarize it for you here. I've already told you it's the beginning of the 40 days before Easter. Um, that whole season is called Lent. It means uh, springtime in the original Latin. It's a season of fasting and self-denial, abstinence and prayer and almsgiving and self-reflection, lots of important things. It's supposed to be a dark uh, season in preparation for a very light season of what we call Easter in the English-speaking countries, but the rest of the Christian world calls it Passover. It's the Christian Passover. Anyway, um, Transfiguration Sunday focuses on the story of Jesus being transfigured before three of his disciples on top of a mountain. And the readings for the day uh, begin in Exodus with Moses' face being transformed, luminescing whenever he's in the Lord's presence. So uh, there's that, and then there's our psalm, which talks about this important balance between loving and fearing the Lord. Then we have uh, a letter from Paul in which he talks about the importance of getting the raw deal, the real deal with God, and how we don't need to be veiled, but we can be bold in our faith. And he kind of takes some digs at the Jews. And then finally, we hear the actually the actual story of the transfiguration, and so uh, all worthy stuff. I uh, I'm really pleased at how many people listen to this podcast and engage with it, and um, you know go ahead and write a review on uh, Apple uh, Music if you like or podcasts. Yeah, that's where it would be. Um, and then recommend this podcast to other people you know who need some spiritual engagement. It's such an easy thing just to listen to a podcast and be in a prayerful state. Um, I would also ask that you just continue praying for this church. We are a vital ministry in a much-needed context, and I think we're doing really great work. So continue to support us with your prayers and um, support our ministry. This church is planning on being here for a long time, helping a lot of people. So God bless you for your prayers and support. All right, let's get into the Word. All right, so our first reading is going to be from Exodus. This is the Old Testament. This is Moses. Now, just as a, a reminder, Moses was God's chosen representative of the Israelite people. He has already liberated them, God has through Moses, from slavery in Egypt. They've come to Mount Sinai, and um, God has been giving Moses the law on top of the mountain. So we're going to hear a story of Moses coming down from the mountain. Uh, It's kind of crazy. I don't know how many of you heard this story before, but let's uh, be attentive to the reader as as they come forward and read this portion to us. Good Good morning. 
Our first reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verses 29 through 35, which you can find on page 141 of your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he had came out and told the Israelites what, had, what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So he'd been up on the mountain talking with God, and he came down, and how was he different? His face was radiant. That's not really a word we use very much uh, in common parlance. What does radiant mean? Glowing, shining. Uh, his skin was putting out light. Okay? So the notion here is he's up talking with God, and then God is impacting him so that it's clear to be seen by people downstairs. And how do they respond to him when they see him? Fear. They don't want to be close to him. They only come because he calls them over. And even then, to make it easier on him, he starts wearing a veil to protect them from uh, this holy visage. But the notion here clearly is we are impacted by the ones that we are close to. Okay, And we all know this. Uh, here a couple of weeks ago, part of the scripture was bad company ruins good character, right? We know that hanging out with bad people is going to bring out the worst in us. Now, likewise... Spending time with God directly is going to impact us. That's why in the hymn, Take Time to Be Holy, spend time in secret with Jesus alone. You know, I think somebody's got a phone on, so it'll get taken care of. So, so we are supposed to be, well, we're not going to turn to us. Let's just, this is something that literally historically happened. Moses was spending time with God. His face started to shine, and this was a condition that maintained now, it's in the setting of God telling him what's right and what's wrong, giving him the law. That's what the law, the Old Testament is the law. The first five books of the Bible is the law. He's given him those books, all those laws, and receiving that law is changing him because he's spending all that time up there with him, with God. Now, the question that I always come to is, what's that got to do with us? Okay, here's this history of things that happened a couple thousand years ago. What's that got to do with me and you? So we've got just some basic principles that I bring to every sermon. One is these holy figures in the Bible, Moses, Paul, Peter, all these others, are they there for us to look at them and go, oh, they were so holy, I could never be like them? Or are they there so we go, that's what holiness looks like, and I need to strive for that personally because I can be like them. One or the other. What do you think? Can we be like them, or is it just too far and we shouldn't even try? Y'all have heard so many of my sermons. Yes, the scriptural imperative is be holy as God is holy. You know, 
be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That, that, this, I just quoted Deuteronomy to you in the Old Testament, and then Jesus to you, Matthew chapter 7, no, 5. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. What The reason the Bible was written down, the reason Jesus died for this group of people and built the church is so that we might be holy. And so we read these stories in the Bible to figure out what holiness looks like. Holiness looks like spending time with God alone. Holiness looks like separating yourself from other people and spending time seeking the Lord. And when you do that, meditating on his law. You know, Psalm 1 talks about it. The blessed is the man who meditates on, man or woman, who meditates on God's law day and night. That's the, the best thing that we can do in life is to know God. And a great way to know God is to know what he cares about. I, I love my wife, so I have learned to care about cool things that she can make in the kitchen. I never cared about such things before. Just put food in front of me and I'll eat it. But I married this woman who cares very much about culinary stuff, so I learned to care about it too, all right? That's how it is with God. God cares very much about his law. So if we love him, we care about his law too. And what we'll find is, through prolonged exposure, we will be changed. A lot of things, a lot of the changes will be inward. A lot of the things will be people can't see right off the bat, but a lot of things will be things that people can see right off the bat. And the thing I was pushing the kids on is, should, you, should Christians look the same as the people around us or different from the people around us? And the answer I gave the kids, it's okay if they get it wrong, but not really okay for adults. We should be living differently than the world around us. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. The notion is that the world is bland and it needs some, some flavoring, some saltiness. It's, it's fallen apart and degrading. It needs something to hold it together. That's what salt was. It was a preservative, right? And then the light of the world, it, it, it casts light. It shows what's going on. It, it shows the truth. It reveals what's going on. He says, that's what you are. That's your role in the world. Our job is to be transformed by Jesus and radiating his grace, his truth, his love out in the world. And if we're living the same as everybody else, well, then that kind of exposes that we really haven't been spending much time in secret with, with God. Jesus, by nature, it is a transformative relationship. He takes you where you were. He leads you to where he is. And that means you grow in holiness. So I'm setting up the themes for 2 Corinthians reading today. For We're going to come back to these things. But the main thing I wanted us looking at with Moses is he's a model for our faith. He was transformed in his body. People could see it on his face, and it was not pleasant. I mean, this is the thing. We often get this idea that all the changes Jesus brings into our lives should be pleasant. This was not pleasant with Moses. It was unpleasant for him. People didn't want to be around him. It was unpleasant for them. And yet, God was glorified in this. So this is the same path we're called to. It would be pretty cool if he made somebody's face start shining in here. Whenever Stephen gets its... Uh, gets uh, martyred in Acts of the Apostles. It says he had the face of an angel. Some people that think that means his face started to shine. You know, wouldn't it be crazy for the Holy Spirit to so, so fill somebody in here that their face starts, you know, we just start looking at Doug and all of a sudden his face is just glowing. Wouldn't that be amazing? If we're not aiming at that, though, if we don't think that, that God's holiness can really change us that much, well, guess what? It's not going to. God only takes the room that we give him. He doesn't force, I, I, I know some people think God forces people. I know every now and again he does, but generally, I've seen it too many times, people 
They give God this much room to operate within, and he doesn't push. He just says, okay, well, we'll do what we can here, but until people open up all the way, until they really lay their lives bare for him, God doesn't make you get holy. That's just something you decide if you're going to aim at. So we'll talk more about this, but let's sing a hymn about being close to God. Number 407, Close to Thee. Psalm 99 is on page 819 of your hymnal. Sung response sounds like this. Be exalted, O God, above the hands. Let your glory over all the earth be found. We've done this a couple of times. I hope it's easy enough for you. Let's sing that together once and then we'll read. Be exalted, O God, above the hands. Let your glory over all the earth be found. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. The Lord sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. Let them praise your great and wondrous name. Mighty ruler, lover of justice, you have established equity. Extol the Lord our God. Worship at the Lord's footstool. Be exalted, O God, above the hands. Let your glory over all the earth be found. Moses and Aaron were among God's priests. Samuel also was among those who called on God's name. They kept God's testimonies and the statutes God gave them. Extol the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. Be exalted, O God, above the hands. Let your glory over all the earth be found. It's a pretty simple psalm, and it gets us to a middle place that we need to be at. We live in an age of extremes. I guess every age is an age of extremes. We're not as exceptional as I often feel like we are, but for a lot of people, a right relationship with the Lord is only fear, only fear. A lot of people, it's only love, it's only love. What the Bible gives us is fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and God is love. One does not exclude the other. And when you think about your own relationships, Fear and love are usually involved in the same relationship. Like, I love my wife, but I've also learned to fear my wife. You know, she can be a fearsome woman, and don't y'all mess with her. She'll, she'll set you straight, you know. Uh, and I'm only half joking. Um, 
those of you who've been married, you know what I'm talking about. Even with children, you know, it'd be silly to fear children, but sometimes I look at Jesse and I go, I have no idea what this kid is thinking. I am not going to mess with him, you know. Once upon a time, I would when he came in the door here, I would have said, come on, Jesse, get in here. Get, I've learned to just leave him be. It's not going to go well. He is a fear, there's a reason why he was named Wolverine. I didn't know it at the time. He is a wild man. Now, with every, you know, I love my wife. I love my son. But I've learned that everybody should be feared to one degree or another. And God especially. God loves me more than anybody. He, he, I love him on my good days more than anybody. But a right relationship is fear of the Lord. And that's why at the beginning of the psalm it is, The Lord reigns, let his peoples tremble. When it says fear of the Lord, the Hebrew word for fear is yare, and it means trembling in your boots. It means God is so powerful, so holy, so threatening, that the only response to him is fear. And that's why it goes through all this. He established equity. He's a good judge. And then it draws us close, and it says, you know, Moses and Aaron and Samuel, they all followed God, and he was good to them. But remember, these guys, they obeyed God's laws. If you want to be on God's good side, that has to be marked with obedience. So it's focusing on all these obedient figures. And then it, I love it in verse 8, it says, You were a forgiving God to them. That, makes you, that draws you in, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. And that puts the fear back in you. And so all throughout this psalm, it's bringing you close and then saying, Hey, but don't, don't let your guard down. Don't get too comfortable. You know, we live in the age of buddy Jesus where some people really think they're going to come into to heaven and high-five Jesus, you know. And that's not the kind of God that we've got. We've got a God who is worthy to be feared. He is a powerful avenger of wrongs. And who here has done wrong ever in your life? Every single hand should go up. You should fear the Lord. It is only repentance that puts us in right relationship with the Lord. It's only obedience to the covenant through Christ Jesus that puts us on the right side of God. Otherwise, he is an avenger, and we should fear him. All right, let's, let's move along in worship. Our, our New Testament reading, it's going to talk about Moses and the veil or the shroud, and it's talking about this Exodus reading that we just had. But the concern here is, how does that impact the way that we live, especially in the light of Jesus? Okay, so that's it's kind of complicated. Let's hear the reading and then see what we can get out of it for today. Our third reading is from Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 3, verse 12 through 4, verse 2, which you can find on page 1795 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, 
By setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul, Paul's a complicated guy, and Peter, we're warned, a lot of what he says is hard to understand, but that's not an excuse to retreat from it and not care about it. This is really important stuff. And he's talking about what kind of posture we should have in our faith life, what, what, how we should behave. And it begins here in this section saying, we have this hope in Christ Jesus. And is that a, a sure hope or is that a kind of iffy hope? It's sure. So he's saying, because of that, we should be bold. Okay? And so the way we go about our lives, we're not uh, wishy-washy. We're not going, oh, I don't know if it's going to work out. We're not diversifying our investments spiritually rather we're all in with jesus because he's all in with us and we're bold about it we're not afraid to talk about it there's i i know i'm a preacher and it's easier for me anyone who i deal with is expecting me to talk about the hope that i have within me about christ jesus but one of the things that i've leaned on y'all off and on over the years is really and I, i want you to hear this in a loving tone but there isn't any reason why somebody should know you and not have a clue that jesus is the center of your life whether we're talking family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers, even your enemies. You know, this is one of the things, I, I'm actually in favor of people having those Christian bumper stickers to show that they're a Christian, because then they should not be having road rage, should they? You know, if you want to behave badly, you shouldn't be telling people you're a Christian. I kind of wonder if that's why people don't wear their faith on their sleeves sometimes. It's because they, they want to continue sinning and they don't want people going, aren't you a Christian? You know. But we're called to, we need to let people know we're Christians, and we need to actually live differently because of it. And we've already been over that territory. Here he's saying we need to be bold in our relationships. You know, there are a lot of ways in which people's faith is being cracked down on some ways. And it's because a lot of people don't know how many people follow the faith of Jesus Christ. We need to let them know on the front end. If you go down this hole, I can't go with you because Jesus is my Lord. I've seen a lot of people get in heartbreaking situations with their family where their family expects to bless them, expects blessing in personal life decisions they're making, and they're looking at their Christian family member going, what's wrong with you? And the Christian family member is going, I thought you knew. I serve Jesus. I cannot bless this. It's better to let them know on the front end. It saves a lot of heartache. In the workplace, there isn't any reason why you can't just let people know, you know, I'm not going to try and convert you if you don't want it, but Jesus is the Lord of my life. I follow him. He is the center of my life. I am a Christian, and I'm holding myself to that standard, and you can too. You know, It can be a wonderful way of going through life. He says, be bold about your hope. And then he starts talking trash on Moses and the Jews, and it really is. I don't think there's any way to read it. He's saying that Moses had to hide his face, and so the Jews didn't get the real deal. That even when they read the scriptures today, they're reading with a veil over their minds. You know, A veil protects people, but it also hides something. You know, whenever a woman is about to get married in Western culture, it used to be uh, customary to hide her face with the veil so nobody would want to steal the bride because she's so darn pretty. You know, if you didn't know that, that's what that is. The veil was used in, in ancient Hebrew religion, not just with Moses, but when they had the temple, they had the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelled. And to protect the people on the outside, they, they, hid a, they put a veil there to separate the people from the Holy of Holies. But when Jesus died... That veil split in two. And what Paul is saying here is, when you're in covenant with Christ Jesus, you don't need that veil to shield you from Jesus because now you're on his side and he's not a threat to you. But anyone who's not in God 
anyone who is still behind that veil is not in right relationship with God. So this is a lot of the Romans language about the law brings dread, uh, death. Jesus Christ brings grace and truth. The notion is not that the Old Testament is bad or evil. It's that it's an incomplete thing pointing towards Jesus and only Jesus fulfills it. But for you and me, it should be simple. Do you and I have Jesus? If so, we don't need the shroud. We don't need the veil. We don't need to be protected. We need to be all in. And that's the thing. And when Paul is saying, okay, if we're all in, verse 17, no, I'm going to say verse 16. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When he's talking about turning to the Lord, he's talking about receiving Christ, putting one's trust and faith and hope in Christ Jesus. So the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Thank God, I'm so glad I'm free. But our notions of freedom in America are a little bit warped because we have this kind of enlightenment view of freedom. I can do whatever I want, you know. I can eat breakfast at dinner and dinner at breakfast, you know, whatever you want to do with your freedom, fine. It's a free country. But what it's talking about here is not breaking all the rules and being just fine. It's saying you are free from sin for righteousness. The notion is that we're all born enslaved to sin. We can't do right. We cannot please the Lord. We cannot enter the gates of heaven. What happens when we are brought under the umbrella of Christ Jesus' grace is that we are suddenly freed from the power of death and sin, and we are allowed in freedom to obey the Lord and walk in righteousness. We never could have done that before. That's what, that's what grace does. That's the freedom it's talking about here. And then in verse 18, this is the main thing I want us focusing on today. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image. The him there is Jesus. We're being transformed into being like Jesus. With ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's saying when you walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. He makes us holy. We grow in holiness. That word is sanctification. We grow in holiness. We start to look less and less like who we used to be and more and more like Jesus. And if that's not happening, it's because you're not walking with him. You're not listening. You're not obeying. It's what happens 100% of the time. So if this is what's going on in your life, the first two verses of chapter 4 is, since we have God's mercy, we have a ministry. We've been given something to do about it, and we don't lose heart. We don't give up. We don't cash our chips in. Rather, we have renounced all secret and shameful ways. We don't live by lies anymore. No secrets, no shame, no avoidance, no denial. We do not use deception, and we do not distort the word of God. That's something I do not like about living in this day and age. There are so many people who distort the word of God. On the contrary... By setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And we're going to end just on that note with this reading. Truth. God cares about freedom. He died to set us free. He cares about truth. And we need to be people of truth. We need to be people who are not having the veil put over our eyes willingly. We're going to be people who pursue truth, even if it's uncomfortable. I got a member of my family drives me crazy. Every now and again, conversation comes to politics. I'll tell him a couple things that I know, and he says, I don't want to hear it. I picked my side three decades ago, and I'm not changing sides. You can tell me anything in the world about my party. 
I'm not changing sides. I'm not going to hear about how my side's the bad guys. And the thing is, if you're like that, you're part of the problem. That's where we get all this intractable war. We need people in the world who will hear the truth and go, oh, here's where I've been so far. I might have been wrong, though. Tell me something I don't know. And who can change course accordingly. The world doesn't need more bullheaded people. You know, and you find this within the church, and it's not people who came and said, I heard the truth of the gospel message, and, and I'm here because I need to follow the truth. It's people who, like me, were born in the church, and this is all I know. Of course I'm here. And there hasn't been a commitment to the way, the truth, and the life. There's just been a, I'm a Christian. This is what I do. I come and I sit in a pew, but don't, don't give me truth I don't want to hear. Christians have to be people who hear truth, whether or not we want to hear it, and we adjust our lives accordingly. Now, I know I talked politics a second ago. I couldn't care less what your political affiliation is. But I do care that everybody in our fellowship and everyone who calls themselves Christian around the world is not closed to the truth, but pursues truth in every avenue of life. Because if we're living in darkness, what kind of testimony is that? I sure don't want to belong to a group of people that have their heads in the sand, sticks in the mud, whatever metaphor you want to use. I want to follow alongside people who love the truth and are walking in the light together. Final this, our final reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through verse 43 which you can find on page 1612 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Can you imagine? Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. It's talking about his crucifixion, isn't it? Verse 32, Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Whose voice do you think that was? God the Father, yes. Verse 36, When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation. Is there any way for us to hear those words in a kind tone? I don't think so. Oh, you unbelieving and perverse generation. No. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God.
This is the word of the Lord. Wouldn't you love to see an exorcism? A lot of you are going, no. <laughs> I watched a video the other day. Vicky's daughter, Whitney, posted it on Facebook. Is this lady with this awfully distorted arm. A big knot right up in here. The bone had obviously been broken terribly. It had been infected and healed very badly. She's in the middle of this crowd of believers, and the healer was pouring water on her and praying over her, and I watched it over the course of two minutes as her arm elongated. The bone elongated. Her arm, it had been up here, got longer, and it was a normal arm after that, and I lost my mind because I ain't never been in a church where that sort of thing happens. I was raised in a respectable Methodist church. Thank you very much. <laughs> but I believe in a God who does that. I would love, I mean, I would not be able to comprehend it, but God is that powerful and he is that good. And Jesus was doing that stuff all over the place. It was wonderful. We're supposed to be talking about the transfiguration. But let me ask you, because all these stories about Jesus, the way you read them matters very much. And uh, let me ask you, when we read about Jesus, is it so we can just sit and go, oh, Jesus was so amazing. I could never be holy like Jesus is holy. Or are we supposed to read it and go, Oh, Jesus was amazing, and that's the standard for righteousness, and I'm aiming there. I need to be like Jesus. Which is it? Is he so beyond reach we shouldn't even try? Or do we have the same spirit that God gave him, and, and God is sanctifying us to be like him? This side or this side? Holy or we're awful? We're called towards holiness. That's what I've been preaching all day. So when we're reading about Jesus, you know, we need to be thinking, am I holy enough? Have I grown in the spirit enough? to be living a life that looks anything like Jesus. Can I imagine going up on a mountaintop with God and hearing his voice and seeing some holy guys, you know? And to be honest with you, I'm not there yet. I would, I would I, you know, Elijah and Moses would show up and I would, I would say, God, <laughs> I'm not qualified for this gathering, you know? But the question is not, am I ready? The question is, am I aiming to be? Do I want to be? Or am I happy and content in my fallen nature and my sin? You know, that's a scandalous thing. When someone has the Holy Spirit in them and they're going, no, no, thank you, no healing. No, thank you very much. Please do not make my face glow. I like my dark suit being the color it is. Please don't make it shine like lightning. No, we need to be looking for the Holy Spirit to do powerful and amazing things in our lives. And if it's weird, great. If it makes other people uncomfortable, great. Jesus made other people uncomfortable. Is it a sin to make other people uncomfortable? It feels like it is. Oh, man, I know that skin-crawly feeling where I said the wrong thing and everybody's really uncomfortable in the room. I feel like I've sinned. That's not a sin. God is not going to call you up to his judgment and seat and go, you made people very uncomfortable with your faith. He's not going to care about that. He's going to care when you didn't speak up for fear of making people uncomfortable. He's going to say, you knew the truth. You knew the one thing that these people needed, and you didn't open your mouth at all because you were afraid of making them uncomfortable. It's like running into someone who has cancer and you've got the cure for cancer and you're like, they're not going to believe me, so I'll just hold on to it for myself. That's a sin. When you could save somebody and you choose not to because you feel weird about it, get over yourself. I say that in a spirit of love. But we need to have some real clarity on this side of things. We need to have clarity. God is calling us towards holiness. He is calling the whole world to holiness. And one day it's going to be too late. And God's going to call us all to an account. Jesus' power was displayed in this wonderful beatific vision. Isn't it weird? 
here and at Gethsemane, amazing, powerful things are happening, and his disciples are drowsy, I would be alert. But it's like God, his presence, if we're not ready for it, it lulls us to sleep or we, I don't know, but they finally wake up and they say, well, let's, let's build some domiciles here. Let's keep this party going. Let's get up the cooker. Let's, let's barbecue some stuff. And it says they didn't know what he was saying. And I always wondered, what else could he say? I don't know what, what the editor expected him to say, but he says, let's, let's build some, some dwellings here and let's spend some more time together. But then they disappear and then you hear God's voice. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. That's a standard to which we're all held. We need to know what this says. We need to know what it says, and then we need to do it, and that's as complicated as it gets, really. We can split hairs over things and argue about things, but God isn't going to care, I don't think, about doctrinal differences between faithful Christians in two different denominations. He's going to care that we try. He's going to care that we pick up our Bibles and know what's in there. He's going to care that we spend time in secret with Jesus alone. He's going to care that we approach God and his holiness and seek his holiness in our daily lives. If we don't do that, we're not going to have any place with him in his kingdom. And I'm aiming to be with him. And I think you are too. I've been kind of beating up on you for it. Let me just end on a happy note. I've been walking with you guys in faith for six and a half years. Very few of you are the same person you were six and a half years ago. I've seen growth in almost every single one of you. And a lot of you have been trying to keep me from seeing you. You've been putting that veil over my face so I don't see what's going on in your life. But I'm watching, and I'm really encouraged with the steps forward a lot of you have taken. You see it in lots of different ways. We've got a fellowship here where, no, we are not perfect. However, people don't get offended to hear the call of Christ. And a lot of people in your daily personal lives, week to week, sometimes it's a step backwards, but more often than not, we're taking steps forwards. And as a pastor, I'm very happy and I'm very encouraged, and that's all because of you guys. I'd like to say it can be just me and Jesus, and you guys can fall apart, and I don't care. That's not how it is. I care about you, and I'm very encouraged by you, and thank you. Thank you for taking your faith seriously. Let's end worship by singing together one more time. Oh, Jesus, I have promised. Let's stand and sing number 396.